this question of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You'll notice that the genealogy of our Savior is only in Matthew and in Luke. In Matthew, the great question is Jesus the Messiah, and hence the very first chapter he starts. It's a generation of the book of Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David. He must prove his right to the throne. And when you come to Luke's gospel, you have the genealogy in the third chapter, and it goes right back to Adam. Why not to Abraham and David? Oh no, oh no, Luke is dealing with Jesus as a man in the midst of men. Is he a real man? And he follows through his genealogy right back to Adam. Our Lord is the second Adam, the perfect man. But why not in Mark? In Mark, he comes right on the scene in the first few verses, a real man. Who's his mother? Who's his father? Not mentioned. He's a servant. No birth, no boyhood days. Who won the genealogy of a servant? The main thing is, can he serve? So the very first chapter, he's serving. Casts out demons, heals the sick, cleanses the lepers. Where? All in the first chapter. He comes as a man in the midst of men to serve. He's a servant of Jehovah. Why not in John? Oh, no. In John, you have, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared it. He hath shown him forth. This is John. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a faithful teacher of the Word of God for more than 60 years. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never In this introduction, the Gospel of Mark is contrasted to the other three Gospels with respect to the genealogy of Jesus, the Son of God. Dr. Mitchell gives us a short digest of Matthew and Luke and John, but later on he will, in this series, deal specifically and entirely with the book of Mark. Now, we are desirous that this study in the Gospel of Mark may draw your heart to the person of our Lord. Jesus Christ himself. This study of Mark will make Christ known to you as one who is a servant of the Lord, who was diligent in action and the sinner's Savior. Here's Dr. Mitchell as he finishes up these introductions to the Gospel of Mark and the contrasts with the other three Gospels. So let's turn to the book of Mark. You're listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you, and I sincerely hope that I haven't uh, bored you with going down through the contrast of these four Gospels. You see, I'm very, very desirous that those of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ shall get into your Bibles. Oh, that God's people would come to know their Bibles. You can't grow spiritually without your knowing the Word of God. You say, I read it and I don't understand it. Be that as it may, read it, will you? Just keep on reading it. You know, there's a blessing to those who read it. Even though you don't retain it, keep on reading it. I'm sure the Spirit of God here and there will bring things to your remembrance that you never dreamed you had. 
And the Lord Jesus is more desirous of you knowing about him and his ministry among men than you want to know. And so I, I just plead with you to get into these four Gospels. Especially, I'm asking you to read the Gospel through Mark, because that's what we're going to follow through in the future lessons. But I would like to again continue a little wee bit, if I may, on these four Gospels again. We've been discussing his person and his work in the four Gospels and the, and the difference in the four Gospels. I'm not going to go through them again. Uh, in our last lesson, we were dealing with the fact that there's a man really in heaven, that Mark and Luke are the only two Gospels where we really went up into heaven. I know, I know it's, found in, it's found in Acts chapter 1, but Acts is a continuation of Luke, where Luke ends in chapter four, 24, that's where Acts chapter 1 starts. It's a continuation of what you have in the Gospel through Luke. So in Matthew, you don't have any ascension, nor do you have it in John. As I said a while ago, in Matthew, he's the king. God's king who's going to rule as Lord of lords and king of kings on earth over the nations of the earth. Today he's not ruling. He's in heaven as an intercessor, as an advocate representing his people. But he's going to come one of these days and rule as Lord of lords and king of kings. But you have no ascension in Matthew. In John there is no ascension because he's God. He was before all things. He's God, manifest in the flesh, and, he's, and hence he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He knows right where you are, and he never leaves you nor forsakes you. In Mark and Mark and Luke, you have in Mark as the servant of Jehovah, finishing his work, he went home. In Luke's gospel, as a real man, which gives us the rest of the Bible, we have a man in heaven who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, and is able to succor his people, whatever their test may be. Now let me do a little further on this question of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You'll notice that the genealogy of our Savior is only in Matthew and in Luke. In Matthew, the great question is Jesus the Messiah, and hence the very first chapter he starts he starts, the generation of the book of Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David. Uh, the Jews didn't care who came before Abraham. Uh, they were the descendants of Abraham. and David was their king, and whoever may sit upon David's throne must be a descendant of David. So the, Matthew starts the book of the generation of Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David. He must prove his right to the throne. And when you come to Luke's gospel, you have the genealogy in the, in the third chapter, and it goes right back to Adam. Why not to Abraham and David? Oh, no. Oh, no. Luke is dealing with Jesus as a man in the midst of men. Is he a real man? And he follows through his genealogy right back to Adam. Our Lord is the second Adam, the perfect man. Adam the first was made in the in the image of God, in a perfect environment, failed God, brought sin into the human race, and was suffering ever since because of it. Our Lord came, God's man, the last Adam, the second man, the Lord from heaven. And you have his genealogy right back to Adam. He's a real man in the midst of men. But why not in Mark? In Mark, he comes right on the scene in the first few verses, a real man. 
He comes to be baptized of John the Baptist. He's driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested of the devil and goes right on to his ministry. Who's his mother? Who's his father? Not mentioned. He's a servant. No birth, no boyhood days. Who wants the genealogy of a servant? The main thing is, can he serve? So the very first chapter, he's serving, casts out demons, heals the sick, cleanses the lepers. Where? All in the first chapter. He comes as a man in the midst of men to serve. He's a servant of Jehovah. So you have no, none of this in Mark. Why not in John? Oh, no. In John, you have, in the beginning, was, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Then in verse 3, you've got creation. All things were made by Him. In verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared him. He hath shown him forth. This is John. No birth. Of course not. If I want the details of our Savior and His birth, I've got to go to Luke. And in the first two chapters, it's full of it. You have the prophecy concerning His coming. He's going to be born of the Spirit of God. As the angel Gabriel said to Mary, that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of the Highest. He shall rule over His people Israel. This is, this is Luke. In chapter 2, you find him as a boy, 12 years of age, in the midst of the doctors, confounding them. You see, in Luke's gospel, he's a boy, 12 years of age. Now he becomes a son under the law. As such, he has the right to come into the temple. So when he's 12 years of age, he came to the temple. He came with, the, with Joseph and Mary down from Nazareth, went to the temple and confounded the doctors, asked them questions and confounded them. And then, what did he do? He went back to Nazareth, and you hear no more about him until he's 30 years of age. He was subject to his parents. He was known as Joseph the carpenter, took his place as a man in the midst of men, walked the streets of Nazareth, tended the synagogue, and as custom was, once in a while he would, he would do the reading. He made yokes for oxen, possibly made houses, I don't know. He was the carpenter. A man who worked with his hands. Just one of the laboring force in Nazareth and despised Nazareth. I tell you, my friend, when our Savior came as a man in the midst of men, he came as a real man. He knew what it was to work with his hands. He knew what it was to walk among people. And yet never once, never once, did he ever disobey his heavenly Father. If I'm talking to young people today, may I say, it can be true of you. God wants young men and women today who will obey their Heavenly Father. I'm talking to Christian young people. If ever there was a time for the need of young men and young women who will take a stand for God, who will walk with God, who will be obedient to God, who will know His Word, it's today. Oh, in some way, if in some way we could capture our these tens of thousands of young people with the Word of God, make it a real thing, not a religious thing so much, 
not just joining a church and going through the motions of being religious. I mean the reality of real life in the Savior, a life in touch with God. It's what God wants. God's looking for men. God's looking for women. When our Savior came into the human race as a man in the midst of men, he came as a baby. He was born. And at 12 years of age, he took his place as a man in the midst of men, as a man under the law, and yet was subject to his father and mother. And had a testimony for God. And at 30 years of age, stepped out onto his ministry. Oh, God give us young men, young women today, who've got a passion for God and a hunger for the Word of God. And I'm sure God will supply the dynamic. God will supply the gifts that are needful to do the job God wants you to do. Don't you, don't you count God short on this. Don't you count God short on this. I'm sure that God is willing to take any one of you, whether you're 60 or 70 or 80, as long as you're on the earth. God's got a purpose. And if you love the Lord, He's got a purpose for you. And the most, the most important thing in your life, the most important thing in my life, is not my service. It's not my service. My love for the Savior, my walk with Him, my fellowship with Him, so that His life, His power, His work will be accomplished through me, through me to others. First of all, in me, then through me. Now, plead with you Christians to do this. And as we go through this gospel through Mark, I want you to understand he's the servant of Jehovah. Not your servant. Not my servant. I'm not closing out the fact that he does much for us beyond all that we deserve. I know that. But he's not our servant. He's our Lord. But he is the servant of Jehovah. And as I read the gospel through Mark, I'm amazed at the continual manifestation of the compassion, tenderness, care, love of God for poor men and women in their frailty, in their affliction, in their sickness, in their bondage. He came to set them free. Excuse me, I'm starting to preach, am I not? But I, I, I'm burdened in my heart today because I see so much of the shallowness, the emptiness of even Christian workers concerning the real things that God has for us. Now, John the Baptist could say, He that cometh after me was preferred before me, for he was before me. Jesus said in John chapter 8, Before Abraham was, I am. But the Holy Spirit says, He, he was before all things. And by him all things are held together. I'm quoting, by the way, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. I just suggest this. All oh, the wonder of it all. The wonder of having such a Savior and such a Lord. Now, in the time that is allotted to me today, I would like to, I would like to do something. I would like to give you a digest of three of the Gospels. Matthew. Luke and John. Why not Mark? Because I'm going to spend a few weeks on Mark. I may touch on it for briefly. 
But let me give you, first of all, a digest of the four Gospels. If I might let you look into my little old mind, I was tempted to take the time to give you a digest of every book of the New Testament. You know, Acts and Romans and Corinthians and Galatians on to Revelation. But I think I'll just stay with the four Gospels because I'm anxious and I want to get into the into the Gospel through Mark. Maybe the Lord sometime may allow me to, to give you an oversight of the whole New Testament, and then I may even give you an oversight of the whole Old Testament, of all the books in the Old Testament. So you see the difference. You can see God moving through all these books and God revealing himself to men and man turning his back on God. You see, I want you, I want you to see the difference. Begin to enjoy the wisdom and the revelation of God. Now, as I said a while ago, it's true that he's the king and the servant, he's man and he's God, and so on. So let me allow me to give you a little digest. Take Matthew, for example. The great question in Matthew is, is Jesus of Nazareth the Messiah? Is this the one for whom all Israel looked for and waited for? So I find when Matthew writes, he writes especially with a Jew in mind. He quotes the Old Testament a great deal which Mark doesn't, but Matthew does. In chapter 1, for example, he proves his legal right to the throne. If they had looked for one to sit upon David's throne when our Lord was here, they would have had to go to Jesus. He proved his legal right to the throne. In chapter 4, he proved his moral right to the throne. That is, he defeated Satan as to the grace of God, the Word of God, and the person of God. In chapter 5 through 7, he proved his judicial right to the throne. If he's a king, he must make law. He must enforce law. That's what you have in chapters 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount. And then, if he's the Messiah, he must prove his prophetical right to the throne. When Messiah comes, he will do certain things. So, in chapters 8 through 10, Jesus manifests his prophetical right to the throne. Here you have the signs and power of the king. You see, you, you have him um, performing miracle after miracle after miracle, proving what the Bible says concerning Messiah when he comes. This is what he'll do. Now, when a king makes law and enforces law, he's going to have trouble. So in chapter 11, uh, woe unto you, Karaz, and woe to you, Capernaum, and so forth and so on. The nation rejects him, what he has done. In chapter 12, he rejects the nation. That's where you have the unpardonable sin. You remember, in between the two, you have this, this statement, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavily, and I'll give you rest. You see, he's turning now. Having been rejected by his people, he flings the door open to any individual who's hungry for reality, who's hungry for peace, hungry for rest. Come on to me and I'll give you rest. Chapter 13, you've got the parables of the king. Then 14 through 20, he instructs his own disciples. The three predictions of his death resurrection. In chapter 21, you've got his triumphal entry. And then in chapters 22 and 23, his judgment upon the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, and so on. Then in chapters 24 to 25, you have the predictions of the king. Uh, about his return to the earth. And then in 26 to 28, you have his betrayal, his death, and his resurrection. Now, this is Matthew. And when you come to Luke, very simple. 
Look, he's a sinner's saviour. He's a real man in the midst of men. And when he came to the human race, he found man under a threefold bondage. If he came today, he'd say the same thing. Man was under the bondage of sin, of death, and of hell. With the result that the moment our Lord comes on the scene, he manifests his authority over the powers of darkness. He casts demons out over and over and over again in the gospel through Luke, from chapter 4 on, casting out demons, his power and authority over the powers of hell. And then his power over death, he found the human race under the power and fear of death. Luke is the only one, for example, who gives to us the resurrection of the widow's son. He also states the resurrection of the daughter of Jairus. And then when you come to this question of sin, he found man under the bondage and the authority of sin. What did he do? Ah, he's the friend of publicans and sinners. You know, I'm astounded when I read Luke. And a man can read it through a hundred times, as I have done in the past, and still not see some things. And I noticed not too long ago this fact. In the Gospel through Luke, he never condemns sinners. He's the friend of publican sinners. He condemned the self-righteous, the hypocrites, yes, but not sinners. Look at in chapter in chapter 5, he forgives a sinner. Chapter 7, he loves a sinner. Chapter 15, is the friend of sinners. Chapter 18, he justifies the sinner. In chapter 19, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. In chapter 14, you have the heart of God. Go unto the highways and byways, compel him to come in. This is Luke's gospel. Gospel of Jesus Christ as a man in the midst of men. When you come to John, did I take John? Great question. Is Jesus of Nazareth God? As I said in a preceding lesson, uh, John gives to us uh, the revelation that this Jesus of Nazareth is God. Starts in eternity. In the first 14 verses of the first chapter, the introduction, his pre-incarnate life. He was with God before there ever was a world. He created all things. He's a source of light. He's the source of life. In him is life, and that life was the light of men. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. You see, it starts in eternity. Very simple in John. He gives you seven signs, three having to do with creation, three having to do with healing, one having to do with resurrection. Just seven signs. Chapter 2, chapter 6, you have his power over creation, transforms water into wine, feeds the thousands on five loaves and two fishes, and stills the storm. Three healings in chapter 4, the nobleman's son, heals him at a word. In chapter 5, a man, 38 years infirm, he just speaks the word. In chapter 9, he heals a man born blind. That's all. Now, what is John's gospel? The revelation of Jesus Christ as a son of God. You remember in the first four chapters, he's teaching individuals, teaching individuals. In chapters 5 through 12, he teaches the multitude. There you have the great claims of Christ. I'm not going to go into it. The great claims of Christ. My, what are, he's, if he's not God, he's a great imposter. You face it. If he's not God, he's a great imposter. Now, notice too, in chapters 13 through 17, he teaches his disciples. Oh, how he loved his disciples. 
He loved his own right through to the end. 18 and 19, he's the faithful one who was betrayed and killed and crucified. Chapters 20 and 21, you have his resurrection. 21 especially, he's the great chief shepherd giving instructions to the under-shepherds. Now, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to spend our next few weeks on the gospel through Mark. Will you please read it through as often as you can? Read it over and over again, just 16 chapters. It'll delight your heart. And when you look at it, just see him. Never mind the folks around him. You see him. You look at him. He is the one who is able to meet every need. Oh, what a Savior. The servant of Jehovah serving you, doing things for you. And as many as touched him were made whole. He's the same today to meet your personal heart's need, to transform you from a child of wrath into a child of God. Now the Lord bless you today for his precious name's sake. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. The Unchanging Word is dependent on the support of our listeners. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Life begins at Calvary.